0: We got Atlantic City and Atlantic League news, plus a lot more for you this week on the Indie Ball Report podcast. Hello, welcome back. Episode number. Uh, Ugh. That was weird. That was a weird way of starting it off. <laughs> Welcome back, it's episode number 212 of the Indie Ball Report podcast I'm Nick, he's Will And uh, yeah, we have a lot of Atlantic League happenings I can't use all Atlantic as a title because I already used that one So hopefully somewhere along the line we'll come up with something creative for this
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those weeks uh, Big signing in the Atlantic League that I know we'll talk about So uh, yeah, definitely a big Atlantic League week for sure
0: Oh absolutely. I mean we have a uh what do you call like the leader of uh of I guess it would be a pack of it wouldn't be a pack of ducks, a flock of ducks? Like what what's the head duck called?
1: Oh, uh the head duck. Yeah. I don't you know, that's a good question. We need an I Audubon think,
0: enthusiast to answer. I don't, this. I don't
1: I don't I don't think I know.
0: Yeah, like, I don't know either. Like there has to be one leader of the flock of ducks, you'd have to assume like unless they're all just kind of like chilling and just collectively decide as a group we're going to go from place to place and move around together but you know i it feels like you're going to have some real lord of the flies type happenings among ducks so i i don't know hopefully uh, an Audubon enthusiast you know one of the bird people uh can tell us if that is the case and the hierarchical structure of duck society but um
1: right i I've never I've never thought about it I actually don't know like because you know there's like the uh it, it just like the leader of all of them and I don't know I've never thought of it for ducks maybe the ducks don't really have that
0: who knows who knows maybe the head duck is called a Bolton
1: yeah I mean well the 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 head duck here definitely is yeah it absolutely
0: is. It is and now I think we should tease him by not talking about the thing we just spent time talking about. Yeah, agreed. Mainly because I got Atlantic City written down first. Here. So we're going to talk about Atlantic City. And with that, we'll jump right into the news. Atlantic City, Wednesday. We've been talking about, you know, a lot of, oh, the surf should come back, even though their ballparks in quite frankly, disrepair. And uh there really isn't an ownership group. And they tried to find ownership, I think, back in, like, 2019, I want to say. I think end of yeah. 18, beginning of 19, if I'm not mistaken. Frank Bolton tried to put a thing together. Hey, it did relate to everybody. To everything but uh he tried to find a group couldn't find a group and then for pretty much since that site that it's on that's next to the bader airport has always been like discussed as part of a redevelopment package something to try and revitalize atlantic city because you know one thing yeah. can read can revitalize all of atlantic city um and we finally got kind of a conclusion to that uh there was another proposal that was put forward that now has been replaced this proposal passed the city board, 8-0 vote, one person abstained, so it's about as close as you can get to a unanimous vote in favor of without it being a unanimous vote in favor of, and uh, essentially what this is going to do is it's going to redevelop the whole complex of the stadium as well as the airfield, and it's going to make it into an F1 track. Two thousand new condos, a museum, presumably for motor racing, because it seems like that's the main thing as part of all of this. Um, the full, the link to the article will be in our show notes. That has renderings as well as full details. You can take a look at that. But the long short is the ballpark's going to be gone, the airfield's going to be gone, an F one track that's about two miles long is going to be in its place, as well as a bunch of condominiums and uh, and some other various, uh, I guess, draws interests. Two, apparently there's not going to be any taxpayer money going to this, but it also doesn't have any state backing yet. So it seems kind of like, how are we going to do this if it's not through private money or some other means like that? I don't really know how it's not going to include some taxpayer cost, but hey, it is what it is there. But more importantly to us, if there's no ballpark, then there's no baseball team to go back to Atlantic City, which has obviously been a hotbed for a lot of us that like to try and predict where there could be a new independent league team. And so, you know, that's a major hit. That's the situation in Atlantic City. It just developed a few days ago. It was worthwhile to talk about, so we're bringing it up to talk about.
1: I think that, I don't know, It just when there, there would be rumblings occasionally, but just there would never be... Like any sort of substantiated movement towards actually getting a team back uh, in Atlantic City, really over the uh, last few years, uh, I'd have to say like there'd be like a story here and there, like in, as you mentioned, Nick, the, uh, the the whole Frank Bolton stuff as well. That I, I just I don't know. It just it doesn't seem like there was uh, that there was that much interest in it from a uh, from like an Atlantic City perspective, like the council or, or, or the or the city that really was that interested in it i don't know it just it it just never it it always seemed like a good idea in theory right and a great idea on paper and i think we could both agree on that that there was that i in a perfect world that would be it'd be great to bring baseball back there but it just you know we we can talk about it but it just didn't seem like there was a whole lot of movement on the, um, not to say we aren't important, but with the actual important figures here (laughs) that in order to try and get something done, it just didn't seem like there was that much interest on their end. Uh, And, you know, you think about like the Formula One racetrack housing and and all that other stuff that they could use uh, a lot of this land for. And hey, especially with sports and the sports gambling industry, like really on the rise, that like uh, having some sort of having um, some, some sort of racing something easy for people to bet on. It's a lot easier to kind of draw people who are tourists in Atlantic City to go like go bet on a Formula One race as opposed to going to an independent league baseball game. That's just the reality of it, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I. As much as, and again, as, as I would love to see baseball back in Atlantic City, as much as you would like to see bas- baseball back in Atlantic City, it just doesn't seem like there was a lot of interest on the on the end of the city and the council and whoever uh, in itself. So, uh, and yeah, it's a pretty, I think you could pretty much, if it wasn't already, I think you could pretty much wrap up any sort of hopes
0: of that happening. Yeah, and of course, obviously, there's still other things that have to happen in Atlantic City for it to be formally finished and done is a memorandum of understanding at the moment. So we know from dealing with those in the past on this show and having gone over in the past, they're never a hundred percent, but they always are pretty much the direction that the town wants to go in. And the fact that like you mentioned, well, there's been moments over the past half decade plus where it looks like, Oh, well maybe there's some interest, but it's never interest really from the city. It's more the city's open to hearing what the, you know, party seeking a team has to say. And part of the problem is it's normally league people that are seeking permission to go try and find somebody, right? And you mentioned a good point where, you know, the people that are really in charge, people that can really have the weight to make the decisions, they've never really had that kind of interest. And I think that's part of the difference and part of the reason why fans and people like us are always saying atlantic city would be great because we deal like theoretically it would be great you know to say all right it's right in the middle of a league footprint for say the atlantic league or the frontier league being the primary two it has history in essentially both leagues technically can-am but can-am's now frontier so for all intents and purposes it'll work uh It fits in all those molds. In theory, you can make it work because you have a large population base and you could use very much the same kind of thought process the jackals are using with patterson in atlantic city only the key difference obviously is hinchcliffe has a lot of historic backing to it as opposed to surf stadium which really does not have that kind of backing and really replaying a nostalgia of kids that grew up going to that ballpark wanting to go to that ballpark again uh so it's a similar line of thinking but not 100 percent, obviously but you know In theory, it's a fantastic venue, but when you start dealing with the reality of it and the practical side of things, it starts to become more and more obvious that it just isn't going to work. Between the damage done to the stadium from vandals and, you know, hurricanes hitting the area, the general lack of interest for people to go to it, the general lack of, you know, someone to actually own the team and run the team, the lack of interest from the city to really revitalize the ballpark itself and develop the area around it and when you get down to it they've been looking for other proposals for this site for a very long time and you mentioned a good point with the betting culture of Atlantic City and having an F1 race there it also brings into the point of you're probably not getting a lot of tourists to go to a you know minor league baseball game right but you could get a lot of people to go in for an f1 race if you were to get that even if it's not like you know top circuit you could still get people to go there because how many of them are really in this general area you know you want to see it you got to go there and then while you're there the kind of person's going to see a, a motorsport event is probably more likely to spend on what Atlantic City's economy is, which is a lot of casinos. So they're more likely to do that as opposed to more family type of entertainment, which would be minor league baseball. And they're probably not going into the casinos and spending as much money. You know, it's not impossible, yeah, but it's also not as likely. So it, when you start looking at the reality of the situation, you know, it's very different from the theory and what we'd want to be the case. So I definitely agree with that point too. Uh, I will say though one thing. I'm not sure who wants to buy a condo next to a racetrack. It just seems yeah, like that's quality a quality of living fun... thing.
1: Yeah, especially Formula One. Yeah. Uh, not quiet.
0: Yeah. Like, it. it's going to be loud. It's so often. Like, like, that just can't be a fun place to live in. Not to mention, you have other, like, they said there's going to be a padlock motor garage, um, a motor club there, too. The museum's going to be there. You're going to have... It details everything. Like, 432 of them are motor-centric condos. I don't really know what that exactly means. Uh, 250 <laughs> mid-rise condos is the breakdown. It's across three buildings, nine or ten stories. Plus, there's an automated parking garage, it looks like, which they have a picture of. and It looks like this giant uh, kind of tower where you just kind of pull in, go to your space, and... And then it'll raise your car up on there. So if anyone's ever been to like a major city, most of my I imagine have, not I know New York does. And you go to those garages where you'll park and then they'll raise it up higher. So that way they have more levels of parking. It's essentially like that only in a glass tower. Which if it got really windy or there was a storm, I'd want to get my car out of there. Because I just like the anxiety from leaving my car in a glass tower during like... A tropical storm or something would scare the shit out of me, personally. Yeah. But yeah, like like yeah, like you go through all these other things. There's also some retail space that's supposedly planned too, So it's really supposed to be almost like its own uh, community, in a sense. So like, I can definitely see the appeal if you're the city, too. It's a mixed-use type of uh, complex as opposed to just keeping one thing. I think generally the city sees more potential in it. And I can't say I necessarily disagree, even if you know I'm biased to want the other thing.
1: Yeah, I just I don't think it was going to happen. And honestly, this this plans and however they get the money, they get the money. I don't I don't know a lot about that or as far as what their plans are. Hmm. Assuming that assuming that they're able to secure the funding, I think that's probably a better fit for what Atlantic City, I guess, usually rolls with.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, uh, again, for being realistic, as much as it, it must suck for anyone that really wants Atlantic City to have a team again, I think it just never really materialized. I think it's one of those things where it's, you know, we all thought it was closer than it ever really was. So, yeah, it's a bit disheartening, but that's the way it goes. But uh, we'll switch to a different Atlantic that has a little bit more uh, potential, I'd say, doing a little bit better. And that is the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball. We have two brand new members to the 25th anniversary team, but before we get to that, we do have some very big news to discuss there. Uh, I suppose we'll take a break from the meaty-weighty conversation and instead talk about a transaction. Now, we don't normally talk about transactions on this show. I think we could probably count between two hands the amount of individual transactions we've discussed over the past 212 episodes of this show, but this one warrants it because it's not all the time that you have a guy that was a runner-up for NL MVP, a three-time All-Star, and a two-time National League Silver Slugger award winner joined the league. And that is, of course, in the form of Daniel Murphy, who signed with the Long Island Ducks on Wednesday, 12-year Major League veteran. Most people that are listening will know him from his time with the New York Mets and then with the Washington Nationals after that. I believe he spent some time with the Cubs and the Rockies, too, shortly thereafter, but it didn't last all too long, It didn't do terribly well in those two spots, but still, you have a guy that definitely has some goodwill. I mean, the 2015 playoff run alone should warrant a lot of goodwill still with Daniel Murphy in the heart of Met country. If for nothing else, early season ticket sales are going to be helped significantly by having Daniel Murphy in the lineup, and uh, I'm curious to see how much he has left in the tank.
1: Yeah, I'm. it's fascinating. Uh, it, it's really fascinating, and I think... First of all, it's really exciting for the ducks, and of course, like I, I'm not, I'm not going to beat the drum too hard on this because you know, like everyone's going to say, yeah, like I'm not going to say the word, like yeah, like I'll well, say so anyway, yeah, no shit, this is a ducks move, but uh, just bringing in like a big name former met, but honestly, like I think it, it makes it makes a lot of sense uh, for the ducks. I mean, obviously, it's a no brainer if Daniel Murphy calls any independent league team and says, I want to come back. You, you pick up that phone call, and you give them the contract. Yeah. No questions asked. Um, so no, obviously a no-brainer for the Ducks, and uh, I, mean, you're certainly right, Nick, that especially in a Long Island market, the addition of a name like Daniel Murphy is going to really, uh, I think, drive, drive some people to the ballpark, uh, especially early on in the season. And I think, honestly, as far as what he has left in the tank baseball-wise, it's hard to say because he hasn't played since 2020. Um, And he's going to turn 38 tomorrow. So I don't know what he has left in the tank. I don't think anybody knows. Uh, But I think what what we do know is... He's a guy that has aged pretty well mm. uh, as far as as far as his big league career, and I know 2020 was wasn't very good, but honestly, like I, I don't know, just yeah. no fans 2020, whatever. Like I, I'm not putting that into much consideration because you know a lot of Murphy's career has not been centered around power. A lot of it has been just as he doesn't strike out very much. He puts the bat on the ball. Uh, and he can he can spray it to all fields. He is a guy that I think is a perfect fit for what you want in for as far as a like a guy at the top of the middle of the order in the Atlantic League. Um and to be honest with you, I I think that you, some people could some people could burn up the argument that hey, like if Daniel Murphy shows like he's decent, somebody's going to pick him up. I honestly don't think so. Yeah. I, he's going to turn 38 years old. So I, I think I view it more along the lines of like an, and like an Alejandro de Aza type signing into obviously Daniel Murphy had a significantly better major league career than Alejandro de Aza did. Yeah. Uh, but I think that as far as could he put up similar lines and similar like slash lines in the Atlantic league, uh, to, to like a guy like Alejandro de Aza, I think the answer is Yes. Uh and I don't know what type of shape he's in, but just knowing the type of hitter that he is, if he was like some big bopper, like huge power guy that's been off for three years, I would have a little bit I would have some more questions as far as the production he can provide. But I think that because that's not really his game, he gets on base a lot, he's he's a really high average, high contact type of guy, I think he this is a type of guy that can age well. I'm interested to see how he does uh, defensively. Do they just do the Ducks just put him at first? Does he like, is he still capable of playing the middle, playing a middle infield spot at 38 years old? I don't know, but I think it's going to, it's a, it's a huge signing for the Ducks. And I, I think there is a legitimate chance uh, that he could, that assuming, you know, he's in, he's in good shape, which I can, I imagine he probably is if he's, you know, pushing to come back uh, like this, because he's obviously you're not doing it for the money uh, at this point, but I think it's it's a really exciting signing, and I honestly think that he could be a an impact bat in this Ducks lineup and a real jolt to a a fan base and an organization that I mean, and and again, like it's it, you kind of put it in a in a Ducks lens because the, their their expect, expectations on Long Island are a lot different than. Pretty much any other independent or certainly different than any other Atlantic League team uh, that there are high expectations and they did not meet those expectations last year. And I think this is a this is a this is big news, a big signing. And I think a guy that can really end up producing in this lineup.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I, I especially agree with the last point that long island has a different set of expectations to everybody else like for a while there was three teams that were kind of expected to be postseason teams you know sugarland somerset and long island they were kind of default they're going to be in the postseason that's the expectation if they don't meet that then they didn't meet the bin the bare minimum uh of acceptable standards and obviously two of them wound up you know becoming triple and double a teams respectively and then the other one's still here and just didn't really perform last year after coming off of a uh, championship series loss in 21. So they they do want to look around. I like the Alejandro Diaz kind of comparison there because well, I do think I could see a world where Daniel Murphy does get picked up, does get, you know, signed by a major league club. I don't think that's the craziest idea. I think it's probably not a top tier club. I think it's probably one that would prefer to kind of just bring them in because maybe it's all a younger room and you want more of a professional in there a guy that's been there done that knows how to go knows how to grind can set a culture type of guy maybe he it's the kind of guy you bring in for that because he's still somewhat productive and you just don't want to rush a prospect up. I could very well see that being a, a situation there. I could see maybe if you're in a pinch and you're just like, we need a guy that we know we can hit, that can hit at this level, that can hit in a major league level. We'll worry about finding a better replacement later on. I could see him being, you know, the option there. But I do think your point on where he's kind of like De a, a deas where he's an older kind of veteran at this point he hasn't played in what two three years now and you know he's there's other options there's better options there uh than daniel murphy unless he is absolutely raking in the atlantic league putting up ted williams-esque numbers which i don't think uh we can reasonably expect anyone to hit over 380 in any league outside of perhaps the pioneer league which again they use funny numbers because they play in thin air land but yeah i i do think that i definitely think there will be an attendance boost uh from murphy too i think at the very least even if he only lasts say through memorial day which i think you're more on par there with he'll get through at least the first half before we even have to worry about this dude getting picked up i don't think it's a julio Tehran situation from last year but yeah but even even if it is only through memorial day We all know that the school year tickets are the toughest ones to sell because, you know, you're not getting people on the during the week. Even, you know, summer, summer, you know, it's tough uh, to sell middle of the week here. But if you can go ahead and use Daniel Murphy as a draw, you know, that's it makes a little bit easier to sell the Tuesday night game. Right. So, you know, I definitely like it from that perspective. As far as, you know, what he has to provide, you mentioned like he's a slap hitter. When I think Daniel Murphy, I go immediately go back to that 15 run, obviously. And then the, yeah. su- the subsequent years with was Washington because it's like, okay, this was never the Daniel Murphy I knew that would go out and crank like 25 bombs. This is not it. So I could very well see either being like, okay, he's going to be a guy that hits, you know, like 305, maybe puts up seven, eight home runs, and that's that's in season. But I could also see him teeing off on guys that aren't majorly quality pitching and just putting up 15, 20 home runs too. So I'm I'm going to be interested to see because I think what it's going to come down to is the same thing it comes down to every year in every league, which is what's the pitching looking like this year? Are we going to get, you know, kind of garbo pitching like we've seen in some years where we have college pitchers coming in to the Atlantic League, coming straight out of college to the yeah, Atlantic like,
1: League? Like we saw last year. Yeah.
0: If we're going to get that, then uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see him put up, you know, solid power numbers if we're going to get more of like pre-pandemic type of pitching where it's like okay well the lowest we're expecting here in that four or five starter and kind of dig deep in the bullpen guy are guys that had you know low a experience like at the worst we're going to get guys that have professional experience here we're not just you know Uh, pan in the fire type situation here. So I think that's really going to be the defining point as to what Murphy's going to do is how good is the pitching. Because like you said, I think he's in pretty good shape and I don't think at 37, nearly 38, you'd attempt to come back unless A, you had a genuine passion for the game and thought you could still cack it in the major leagues and B, you had enough realistic people around you to say, yeah, you're in good enough shape or can be in good enough shape to achieve those goals.
1: Right, and I think He's got that. He clearly, at this point, I think is in good enough shape. You would think yeah. uh, to to try and make this comeback. It, but you know, especially, I don't know. I, I, the the reality is, as far as how he'll hit, I mean, it's so it's so hard to know with a guy that hasn't that hasn't that hasn't played in three years. But yeah, could those power numbers realistically realistically go up if they're sit there if he's facing? you know, similar pitching to what the Atlantic League had to offer at the end of last year? Absolutely. Um, and, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's hard to know for sure, but I, I think he's going to bring a lot of excitement to that fan base, a lot of excitement to that team. For uh, for however long he's there, I don't view it at all like the Tehran situation because, one, Tehran was a lot younger. Yeah. Two, it, it doesn't matter if you're 48 52 years old, whatever sort of thing you have. If you are a pitcher like in the Atlantic League, it is easy, It is way easier for you to get picked up out of independent ball as a pitcher than it is as a, as a position player. Yep. Um, and so I, I think that I don't I don't know what the market is for him, but we'll I guess we'll have to see if he if he comes out hot out of the gate. But I mean, nonetheless, anything he can provide, I'm sure, to that organization, to that lineup, as far as them winning games, and of course, the box office will be certainly welcomed by the Ducks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I have that's kind of a concern for me when it comes to Daniel Murphy is you know in the past he's made comments about uh, I think it was a Pride game, and as long as you know that's not. That's the only concern that if, if that becomes a focal point, I think most people have probably forgotten about it at this point, but you know, uh, that's the only concern I have. If that's going to be a deterrent because we are dealing with more of a local community, as Ryan likes to point out a lot, that these teams are basically small businesses. And so you have to be in tune with your community as long as people aren't resentful towards that, which, you know, I'm not in a position where I can really have an opinion one way or the other on it. It's, you know that's my only concern
1: i i don't think it'll be an issue because to be honest with you like at well i, I acknowledge certainly what yeah. you're saying the reality the, the the reality of sports is though he is going into a he's play yeah. he's going to central Island, new york where it is met fan country out there mm-hmm. and they're going to think of they're going to think holy crap daniel murphy like the guy who went ballistic in the 2015 and also, like the 2015 playoffs—that's what they're thinking about. I don't think that the any of the other stuff will really creep in. Now, if he if he played, I don't know, somewhere else where there isn't that like local that like Mets connection or Nats connection or uh, the yeah, if he was raking for the Diamondbacks, right? Then then yeah, maybe that's a different conversation. I think Long Island though. I think there's enough enough fans there and Met fans that love Daniel Murphy uh anyway it's that. I, I would i'd be surprised if it's much of an impact if any at all
0: yeah like i said i don't i don't know what it will have i'd probably lean towards uh towards it won't have an impact it is enough of a of it was enough of an issue i should say at one point in time to where i just wanted to bring it up because i feel like it'd be remiss to not mention it but yeah i probably agree with you that most people aren't thinking about that they're thinking about daniel murphy to do that you know Power the Mets to the World Series. That's the name or if they're thinking of. So uh, right. either way, though, he'll have an impact. It will almost certainly be a positive one. And we'll see if he's a full year duck, a part of the year duck, or just uh, just a signing. So we'll see how it goes with him. We do have some other stuff to get to. So we'll move on to some other Atlantic League stuff because we actually have a lot this week from the Atlantic League. Uh, and that is the Atlantic League put out a tweet listing all the rules that were tested in the league that are now in play in Major League Baseball, and being that it's opening weekend, I suppose, for Major League Baseball. I figure we run through them and just kind of go back around on this rules discussion. We won't go over our thoughts on all these rules. We've done that plenty in the past before. I figure just have a little bit of a bigger picture discussion about these rules and about you know what they mean going forward and those rules that the atlantic league tested that are now in effect for major league baseball are the shift rule the extra inning rule meaning runner on second uh, 18 inch basis three batter minimum and the no pitch intentional walk so just generally speaking i do wonder Like, what will it mean for the Atlantic League kind of moving forward? Obviously, they have the rules partnership. Obviously, the players in the Atlantic League despise it with a passion. That's never been a secret, really. And a lot of times they kind of sort of not intentionally, but definitely intentionally sabotage the rules test because they think it's bullshit. And, you know, some of them are. I mean, the mound was, the mound was BS. Like that, the stealing first thing, that was BS too. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's like, if you're a guy that understands he's on the last shot of his career, he doesn't want to deal with this crap. Like, just full stop. That's the situation as it exists. And the mound thing between the potential blacklist that was confirmed, that wasn't confirmed, that was a thing, that wasn't a thing. You know, it. it there was just so much going on with that. It just such a negative uh, connotation. You do wonder what other rules are going to get tested in the Atlantic League. We know a lot of these things got rolled like rolled back repealed i guess for uh going forward but other ones are certainly there and obviously you know now that they're in major league baseball they're going to have a trickle effect just down the line for all these other leagues because everybody has a has a uh, pitch clock now everybody has a uh the runner on second i don't know if everyone has the three batter i think most do everyone does yeah Yeah, everyone does okay yeah so you Pretty know sure. Yeah, that's why I wasn't sure about the American Association. I thought they may not. But, you know, pretty much all of the core four independent leagues all have the rules now. So I kind of I figure that there's a discussion to be had here as to whether they were just kind of ahead and just had to take the bad press hit for it. Or if it's a matter of, you know, this is going to continue to happen. There's going to be more kind of BSE things and players are still going to kind of hold that same position.
1: I think that when you, when you look at the, these rules, uh, and I guess, and you, you mentioned the, the, you know, the, the PR hit and stuff like that. To me, I, I kind of view, I didn't think the entire idea in and it of itself was a bad one, but the mm. problem is, is when it kind of, there's certain rules that, for example, like the three batter minimum that are worth testing, the no shift mm. rule, which you can, you can like, you can dislike, but, I think it was it was something that legitimately needed data, and I, I think the bigger bases as well. Um, and I mean, extra run, inning runner on second was you know It, yeah. it is I, I don't I don't know if I buy that that Atlantic League started that.
0: Yeah, call, I really. mean they. Yeah, I mean they, it was kind of throughout like most minor it, league inter, country,
1: international baseball has been doing that for a for a decade. Yeah. Uh, so uh, and the no pitch intentional walk whatever. But I, I think that as far as you know the three rules that the Atlantic League – those other three rules that the Atlantic League listed, I don't think the, the bad PR hit was ever about those. I think, what, I think the, the thing that people were mad about was the stuff that is not going to make – that is so ridiculous and so gimmicky that it's never going to make its way in, into Major League Baseball. For example – uh, the, the mound back like damn well the the, the players you knew, would never ever ever agree to having a mound move back and not to mention like i think that idea has been pretty much put to the side at this point yeah. like the stealing first base like at, at the end of the day when you when in a league that is very serious with that is that has players that are very serious about this and that is whether it's their last chance or whether they're they're trying maybe they're it's the other way and they're kind of working their way up um, and, and trying to get into uh, into affiliated ball, and they've been there for a few years. It is serious, and when you try and put rules in there that kind of treat it as a joke, like, ha, ah, ha, ha, look, he stole first base, cool, like, players don't appreciate that, coaches don't appreciate that, and we're trying to win baseball games. And so I, I think the testing rules itself is fine, but I think that there should be, I think, a clear distinction and a line in the sand drawn between which ones are that are legitimate ideas that could be implemented one day and that we would like to test with high level baseball players example no shift rule example three banner minimum or the or the bigger bases but uh like that's fine but then like when you start you know just the absurdity of and and i guess and i kind of take remove the the automatic balls and strike system out of the equation for this because it's so controversial that you have people that like the idea people that don't like the idea i i think and i know this is not exactly along the lines of what you asked me nick but I, i do want to throw this in there anyway as far as like what i would like to see the atlantic league use this year i would love love and i know they're doing it for half the week in triple this year, like mm. for like the six game series, they're doing it for the back half, the, the weekend series uh, portion of those series in triple a mm. that they're doing. Uh, they're doing the challenge system. Oh, that, okay. is what I, that is what I want to see in the Atlantic league this year. That is what I want to see over a full, a full year. And with like, obviously with high level professional baseball players with that, I want to see like full games that are used with that challenge system. That is what I I think should be in the Atlantic League this year, and something that I think the the players would be interested in, that the um and that the MLB would also be interested into, and that is what I would like to see in the Atlantic League this year.
0: Yeah, no, that would be definitely a great idea to test. I think the challenge system, and there's a couple of different challenge systems that would be interesting to see. Do one for one half, one for the other half. I don't know if the tech and the ballparks is up to that, but when I think about all the ballparks, most of them are. Fairly recent construction. I don't think many of any of them are twenty five or more years well, older. So
1: it's the same. It's the same system as ABS. You're just not having the ABS call every ball and strike.
0: True. True. And I think even with ABS, though, like I think that would have been better because you do have people that just hate the idea, people that like the idea but hate the implementation, and other people that thought the implementation was fine that the idea is good. And that last group is the group that just didn't pay attention because no one, I think that watched Atlantic League baseball for any length of time with either way they did the strike zone, either the 3D or 2D strike zone could reasonably say, yes, this is fine and acceptable that this is at
1: its current state. Yeah.
0: yeah. Like it just, it wasn't, there was things that should not be called and you need to allow the umpires to have some some leeway. And that's why I do like the challenges in there. But I, I think too part of like, What I think with the PR push, because even some of the stuff, like I think the bases were one of the few things that didn't get pushed back. You know, like you said, the runner on second claim is a bit dubious. I mean, that was kind of like everybody started doing that at the same time. Yeah, Um, exactly. You know, there's some of it there. I feel like intentional walk to that was one of the ones that, you know, I feel like they weren't the first. But I also don't recall well enough to definitively stay that so but that was one that got some pushback as well and i also remember like the three batter minimum it was worth testing too don't get me wrong but i remember a lot of people being up in arms that it basically was the death of the loogie so you know i i remember that too and i wonder more to my point with a lot of these things and the dumb ones like those steal first you know that that obviously should have never been an idea tested and i imagine there were people on the atlantic League that said we really don't want to test this unless we absolutely have to because it's going to be gimmicky and we really worked hard like the past 20 years to try and break that rotation right. like we we struggled a very long time to not be known as the sideshow league that just has washed up over-the-hill guys and, you know, glorified men's league players. Like, they struggled really, really hard for a long time to break that connotation. And outside of, like, the handful of scouts and organization that really took them seriously and said, no, they were really good ball players here, and then the few, I'd say, couple thousand people that kind of acknowledged, yeah, this is legit baseball. The overwhelming, you know, idea in people's heads was, it's a sideshow league. And even still today, a lot of people view it as a sideshow league, which is just not true, obviously. But, you know, when you start testing that kind of thing, it's now you're almost saying like, yeah, we know it's a gimmick. We're doing it anyway. And now it's hard to fight that, you know, public opinion. So I have no doubt that there was at least some pushback in in Major League Baseball said, just do it. And then they lost the right to do it. But I also wonder... How much guidance did MLB give in the implementation of all of these rules? You know, like, did they just say, go test it, figure it out how? Or did they say, you have to do it this way, figure it out? Like, how, because it wouldn't shock me for Major League Baseball to just say, like, oh yeah, no, we'll, we'll send people there to show you exactly how we want it done and everything like that. And then that just to never be, to just never materialize, right? Like, I wouldn't be shocked for MLB to make some empty promises towards Atlantic League and all the other partner leagues here because, I mean, we're still waiting on what it means to be a partner league and what it actually gives, you know, independently clubs like we still are waiting on that. So it's only been four years now, but, you know, hey, I'm sure it's coming any day now. Um, So I wouldn't be shocked to have them just say, yeah, go uh, go test the three batter minimum we just need this particular data set. So however you can get that, go for it. And when you just kind of toss something like that on a league, it's kind of hard to make it happen, you know, overnight, like give them what four months. You got four months, go figure it out for the rest of the year. The whole mound thing too. Like, yeah, we just want to see what the results are. Just, just kind of go about and do it, do whatever way you have to, you know, because if it's not, then we're going to have a problem. Like it wouldn't, I wouldn't be stunned if that was just kind of like the the king speaks you answer that kind of a situation
1: yeah exactly and i don't i don't know 100 i i wonder that too and honestly it's hard to it's hard to answer without being in the room yeah um uh, when those when those decisions and those conversations are being had uh but yeah i i wonder and i knowing major league baseball I, i'm not inclined to give them the benefit of the benefit of the doubt with that really yeah um so i don't know i'm kind of i would kind of lean towards they're kind of just like figure it out but you know it's, it's hard to say for sure without being there
0: yeah that and also like part of the reason i'm kind of leaning that way too is we've seen like when it's just an atlantic league initiative like we'll use the 25th team which we'll talk about in a second uh for example That's a really well done initiative, you know, like there was some scheduling issues on how frequently it comes out. But now it seems like they have a rhythm down where it's like, okay, we'll do one one week. Then the following week, we'll do two. Then we'll do one. Then we'll do two. And it's typically like Tuesday, Thursday. That's pretty standard on how it goes. So you have one day for it to breathe. And also, I think when I started tweeting out like, hey, can you guys not do this on Friday? We'd like to talk about it. They kind of were like, oh, yeah, free press and started doing that. Plus, also, I started tweeting them out before they were able to tweet it out, so now we don't get graphics in the emails. But uh, I'm not going to complain about that because I just take it off of Twitter. But whatever. Uh, any case, you know, like those kinds of initiatives, they're well ran. Like, generally speaking, despite the things I just mentioned, which are really just nitpicking things, it's well ran. It's a good idea, and it's done well. Like, a lot of the Atlantic League-led things are done well, or at least to this level I kind of expect from them. But when it's major league baseball kind of brought in, then it's like, okay, now it's just like way off the map. Mistakes that you could kind of go, okay, I could see that. They're just like magnified so much to like, how could you make this mistake kind of level? So it it definitely seems like MLB kind of leans on them a little bit. And like, I get promoting like, look at all these rules and stuff, because you want to make it seem like, hey, This all wasn't for nothing. And I would love to know, like, what kind of actual tangible, trackable benefits they've gotten from working with Major League Baseball. And that goes for all the partner leagues. And I think at that point, I kind of want to transition over into that. Like, what does this mean for the other partner leagues? Are they going to be just be stuck having to do these rule moves, too? Like, when are we going to start seeing some of these really unpopular ones that start to weed their way up them? minor league system into major league baseball have to start going to other partner leagues because at a certain point you know you're at a disadvantage if you're not using the rules from which the higher leagues are using right because that's the point for all these players is to get to major league baseball or at least the highest level they can so if you're not using those rules you're just kind of doing a disservice to your players even the players don't like the rules
1: yeah, agreed. Because uh, if, if at the end of the day, whatever gets implemented at the MLB level is going to have a trickle down effect, uh, mm. always. So I don't know. I think that that's going to be certainly something something to watch. But I think there's no doubt that you know whatever, like let's just say for sake of example, the MLB implements the jump system next year. I don't know if they will, but let's say they do. Mm. Uh, I at some point, like assuming that the technology is is able to do it, I. If you can do it, you're going to do it. If you're yeah. if you're a league, or else you know you're you're kind of kidding yourself. Like why? Like if as far like, you, like three better minimum wise. Like why would you not? If everyone else is everyone else if everyone else is using it, you know. So um, I I think that anything that the MLB does at the at least the higher level of the minor leagues or any especially anything that gets implemented in Major League Baseball, um, I think is usually going to have a a Good idea for a trickle down effect because he, whether people in either the the American Association, Frontier League, Pioneer League, Atlantic League, whether they like the rules or not are honestly pretty irrelevant. Yeah. It's 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 a lot more relevant whether or not you because at the end of the day you're trying to get players to affiliate affiliated ball and eventually the major leagues and you playing a different brand of baseball and different rule of baseball is not helping. It's, hmm. it's not helping, whether, again, whether you you have to set aside the personal feelings uh, of the, whether you like the rules or not, uh, that you have to, like, at the end of the day, you have to adapt to what is done at the top because that's the level you're trying to get to.
0: Exactly. for things like the challenge system, for example, I'm sure there's technology in all of these ballparks that can make it work. You know, a lot of them have you know, like a Yakker Tech system or something like that in there. And I'm sure that could be managed to be used in the same manner. But you wonder if like the whole, hey, we're a partner league. Can you help us out with implementing this? Can you help us out with putting the tech in here? Is going to be a thing or if Major League Baseball is just going to be like, "Nope, you're on your own, which is kind of where I'm leaning towards them going. And I'm almost leaning towards the, You know at a certain point because keep in mind this is all part of one baseball you know one development pipeline get everybody in line get them all in a system essentially monopolize baseball in a way um so i wonder when we're going to get the edict coming down that all the partner leagues got to use the same rules if you don't like it tough i'm waiting for that because i feel like that's the inevitable end to all of this right like that's that's where it comes down to that and Like, it wouldn't shock me either if we get to a point where, like we have free agency for players, we have free agency for affiliations, where the only teams that aren't going to be open to jump ship to go to a different major league org or wind up independent are going to be the ones that are owned by the parent club. Like, it won't shock me if we get to that point because we already kind of have that in a sense with just like the development license, like the 10 and 25 year licenses. It wouldn't shock me if it's like, OK, every 20 years now we're going to go and do this reshuffling and independent clubs may jump up and affiliate clubs may go over, like go sideways to uh, become, you know, independent now. Like, it wouldn't shock me if every couple of decades we just have this great realignment there. And I mean, this obviously is spiraled off of from. Look, they're promoting. They did things, but like it just seems like I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. It's I guess kind of my point to make it quicker.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would. I wouldn't be surprised either. And I, I think we're, I think we're heading down yeah. that that road in all likelihood.
0: Yeah. So, it's a discussion for another time. Certainly, uh, we have other stuff we got to get to. So I guess we'll get busy with that before we run overly long. Twenty uh, fifth year team. For the Atlantic League, that's our next stop, and it starts with Francisco Morales. He is the ninth player added to the Atlantic League Anniversary Team. Uh, Long Island. He played for uh, for three years, 2000 to 2002, and then one year in Camden in 03. A uh, three-time postseason All-Star, third most among all Atlantic Leaguers. Uh, led the Atlantic League in on-base percentage and slugging in 2002. One of two catchers to ever do that. And he was a, th- he hit 20 home runs in three consecutive seasons. Only one of five guys to do that. He also played 110 or more games in each of his four seasons. He now coaches in Tijuana with the uh, Mexican Baseball League. So Francisco Morales gets added to the team. And while there are some impressive accomplishments, especially the, the 320 home run seasons, is it me or does it feel like, you know, He's kind of one of the borderline guys. I
1: I think to be honest with you, it's more more speaks more to the position. Yeah. That it does him or the uh, or the decision making. I just don't know how deep of a position that the uh, that catching is when it comes to this. Fair uh, as far as because at the end of the day, if you have like catchers who can put up like really good numbers probably getting picked off. Or not picked off. Picked yeah, up. up yeah. Uh but I, I think well if a catcher gets picked off, something probably went horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah. But um but I think it's more I think and it seems like of course I've never watched Morales play or anything. The numbers <laughs> certainly um look good. I mean a guy you a catcher leading the uh, Atlantic league in on base percentages that's in 2002, that is really impressive. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, I can't really speak to his defense. Apparently he's a good defender, but yeah. I think that, uh, but it's certainly, you know, it seems like he's a very good player uh, in the years that he, in the four years he was in the Atlantic league. But I, I think to your point, Nick, I think it's more, more representative of the overall depth of the position when talking about this, like out, for example, like outfielders would be totally different.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Or corner infielders would be totally different. See the uh, thing that catchers.
0: Yeah, the thing for me isn't even so much the numbers, because I mean three times the postseason, all star in four seasons is extremely impressive. Same thing with the three home runs. Essentially he had one down year. If you really want to get down to it, and if 75% of your seasons are fantastic, then you deserve to be on there. But it's just that he only played four seasons. Like that's what kind of gets me. And like I'm kind of torn on that because on one hand You don't have, you know, guys put up these crazy numbers all the time and stay an independent ball. That's just not how this works. You don't get the luxury of, you know, having guys stay for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years normally. So, you know, you have a guy that has three or four really, really good seasons. They probably have a place on this team, especially like when you mentioned, well, it's a a position that's not as deep as others. Catcher probably being the thinnest of all the positions we're going to have named here. But at the same point in time, I'm also looking at, like, but everybody else on this list played more than four seasons. And there's a lot of other guys here that, you know, stuck around for a long time here. And, like, the next guy we're talking about was also catcher, And he stuck around from pretty much 04 to 2015. So, like, you put in a lot of time there. And yeah. it, it kind of shows like, yeah, you can find guys with depth there. And I think this comes back to the quality versus quantity kind of debate, where I feel like I'm probably and anyone listening probably is like, yeah, you definitely fall on that side, and I'm just, you know, not wanting to admit to it. Uh I probably fall more on the quantity side where it's like, you know, I value that longevity in independent ball a little bit more than the quality, just because we see a lot of high quality ball players come through that have tremendous seasons but you don't see a lot of guys that have maintained success because just the guys that maintain their success normally don't stay. And I don't blame them for it uh, because I would do the same, but you know, I just seeing a guy with only four seasons, is kind of weird on the list is I think really my hang up.
1: I I get it. Although I just, I don't know who I would, I'd have to do more research into who Mm -hmm. some other candidates that, you know, he was picked over. Um, Yeah. So, which I I don't, I don't really know, but I I do agree with the, I I think the longevity argument is pretty good for a team like this, Uh, but yeah, I I don't know. It's just hard without knowing who he was picked over, you know?
0: Yeah, fair enough. Well. Uh, one of the guys that was also added to the team, and we found out yesterday, meaning Thursday, was Luis Rodriguez. He is the 10th player added to the team. Uh Long Island Duck in 04, won a championship there. In 05, he went to Nashua, didn't play in 06, then 07, 08, awesome in Nashua. And then in Bridgeport from 08 to 2015, 12th all-time in games played at 816, the most by a catcher. He- Suited up as a catcher 788 times. A uh, 2010 All Star. We mentioned he was an 04 champion. And he was also the holder of a 985 fielding percentage, which earned him the nickname The Machete because he just cut guys down when they tried to steal bags. Uh, Another notable thing about The Machete here is he's a player coach from 2012 on until he became the manager of the Bridgeport Bluefish for the 16 and 17 seasons. So by far a long and distinguished resume here and he was one of those guys that as soon as I saw because I get the post notifications for the Atlantic League I turn those on and I'll see like the Atlantic League tweeted something the Atlantic League posted a picture of the Atlantic League to their story like as soon as I saw that I was like oh cool we got another member of the team so I go to my emails, check the press release and I go oh it's Luis so like I was really excited to see Luis Rodriguez on there because he's just been around for forever and like yeah there's never was I don't least qualify anything I was just, like on a, overwhelmingly amazing offensive year there was just like he was one of those guys like i was just talking about sustained great or a sustained good player high quality guy and a fantastic fielder and then after that he goes on and he still coaches in the league a guy that really i think the team is kind of meant for guys that are really getting acknowledged for spending basically their career here so uh really really happy to see him there
1: yeah i'm with you i think that um I, I think that it's certainly certainly good to see a guy who's like who gave so much and was around the Atlantic League for so long to 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 be put on this team and yeah he might not have had like the eye popping offensive numbers but the longevity is there the defense is there uh, and like the accolades as far as you know like picking uh, play, playing the most games of any catcher uh, I I think it's it it. It definitely means a lot, and I'm glad to see it was rewarded because it, it seems like a, a pretty good pick for for this list and, and more representative of what this list is supposed to be.
0: Definitely, like that's just the thing. Like, he was just around for forever, and like I just I love seeing guys like that, you know, get the shot and get the nod because it just it, it shows that like it's worth it doing all of this, right? Like to put up with all that comes with playing minor league baseball for that long it takes a lot and to finally get that honor is certainly uh certainly worthwhile there and looking up his numbers right now, like I said, the best season he had, realistically, there's probably probably two of them. Either twenty twelve, the first he was a player coach. He had nine home runs, had forty three RBIs and the, the rest of the numbers aren't great there. But if you value power, it's probably his best year. I suppose he could bump up a year to twenty eleven where he hit one more home run, but you know, it is what it is there. Or you could say 2009, where, uh, I don't know, actually, the couple of years with Nashua, he was pretty decent. Yeah, I guess I guess earlier on, I'd go Bridgeport just because at 35, if you go ahead and hit four triples, I kind of value that heavily. <laughs> like, that seems like a lot for a dude that that old. But 277, too, as a hitter, five home runs. But uh, honestly, early in the career, because he didn't join the Atlantic like, till he was in his 30s. And then he still was like, yeah, I'm just going to chill here and keep playing until, like, 2015 (laughs) like that's pretty impressive to me like i'm just really happy to see him on here like this is a lewd a lou ford-esque kind of addition
1: a lou ford before his time
0: exactly well i mean while while at the same time really when you get down to it we've got lou ford's been here for for like ever but uh yeah yeah. so with that that's uh that's the team so far we'll run through real quick all the guys on the team before we move on get through the last couple of Bits of news we have for you. 2015 now is made up of Mike ifoil Tim kane Glenn Murray, Jeff Nettles, Lincoln Michelson, Ray Navarro, uh, Jim Ed Warren. Josh Presley, Francisco Morales, and Luis Rodriguez. Those are the 10 so far. We have 15 more left to add before opening day. we got about a month to get through all of them. So we will see uh, how many we start getting as we get closer to opening day. Last piece of news in the Atlantic League this week. It's a tryout news, so we'll go through it quick. Lexington tryouts, April 19th at 945. It's at their ballpark. Registration fee is $100 due a week prior to the camp, so by April 12th form should be up on the Lexington website by the time you're listening to this. Supposedly, it's going up on Friday, but uh, we will see if it's actually up. If it's up, it'll be linked in the show notes and it'll be linked in our tryout article. Uh, If it's not up, then, you know, it won't be there. So there's that. Uh, Moving on, just miscellaneous because, well, I don't think you have anything to really add on a tryout because it's a tryout.
1: It's a tryout.
0: It's a tryout. Uh, Moving on to that, two pieces of news left before we're done for the week uh jackals they're going to have 25 games broadcast on am radio it's going to be on 920 won so 921 um there's going to be a pre-show a pre-game show uh details to come on that uh games are still available on mixler as well a link to the full schedule of games on the 920 station in the show notes so be sure to check that out link in the description to all of that as well so uh yeah they got uh, they got a radio deal. Always love talking about those.
1: Yeah, and uh, always, always a good thing. Anytime you can have the potential to reach more people, uh, it's it's something that independently teams should do. So I think uh, it's uh, it, it sounds like the station has also done like high school sports in the past. So it it makes a lot of sense and certainly a, a good thing for them as they kind of get settled into Patterson.
0: Absolutely. There. Will you be listening to the AM or are you gonna keep keeping it to Mixler?
1: Hmm. Pro- I assume Mixler's probably a higher quality because like AM sometimes is kind of, I mean, well, FM's always the higher quality yeah. than AM, but uh. I don't know. I, probably, I don't know, probably Mixler over AM, but who knows? Yeah,
0: like the one thing I remember from my degree, like that was firmly planted in my head was during the radio and podcasting class, which I took because communications was FM's always good quality. The only reason to use AM is because it travels for forever, and you could get a New York station down in, like, D.C. It will be horrible quality, but you could still, in theory, get it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, so in the last piece of news this week, we talked about one jersey retirement last week when Reggie Abercrombie. Now the Railcats have one of their own. They're going to be retiring. It is of the former manager Greg Taggart. His number twenty-seven will be retired on May thirteenth. That is opening weekend. Their opening day is the eleventh. So this should be the last game of the series. Obviously, Winnipeg is in town. Taggart now manages the Gold Eyes, so it kind of makes sense to do it then. I'd have to imagine this was planned prior to him being named manager, and they were just going to kind of put it on a different day. But it just is kind of convenient here. And, uh yeah, there's also going to be a t-shirt giveaway, too, on that same day. Uh, we could run through uh, Taggart's long and extensive resume but we've done that in the past all you need to know is he's one of the most winning winningest managers in the history of independent league baseball certainly the most in the history of the railcats was there for what 20 plus years if i'm not mistaken and yeah yeah and so it's a very deserved honor it's just kind of weird that you're going to retire a guy's number when he's coaching against you like it's it's going to be an interesting feat like i get it i totally get it it's just kind of weird to me
1: it's unique, but well deserved, and uh, I think it's it's going to be a cool cool day, cool ceremony, and yeah, it, the fact that it, you know he's managing against Gary right now is kind of unique and not something we see in those sort of jersey retirements uh, usually. But it should be, I assume, it should be a pretty cool ceremony, though. Yeah.
0: yeah, definitely. I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Now I know uh, the series I'm going to primarily watch on opening weekend. It's definitely going to wind up being this one. So uh, congrats to him, and uh, yeah. With that said. We've covered everything we set out to cover this week, and I'm not going to lie to you. I think it was a pretty solid episode. I think we had some good discussion, and I think that we've done a pretty good job on getting everything done in a fairly timely manner.
1: I would, I would have to agree.
0: So we'll go to those plugs and uh, we'll get out of here. You want to find the show? You can do so wherever you find podcasts, tune in, Stitcher, Spotify. Podbeam, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, all of them. Rate, review, subscribe if you can. Would appreciate it. Help the show grow. Uh, continuing from there, you want to find the show on social media, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at ALPB underscore news and at Indie Ball Report on instagram there Uh, you can find the show notes and the links to everything we discussed today on the website indieballreport.com. you can also find our tryout article if you're a player or a person of interest in trying out for any of these teams any of these leagues all that tryout information is linked under our article tabs it should be still the top article uh, which is just tryout schedule so go there take a look at everything we try to keep it pretty up to date we should have all the tryouts that we know about on there and as they wind up becoming um, full or as they wind up uh, kind of happening, then uh, we'll try to remove them from there as well or cross them out or something like that. So be sure to check out the website. A lot of good stuff on there. Uh, with that said, do we have anything else left to add?
1: Only thing I have left to add is obviously, you know, Nick hates the DH, so you wasn't watching. Yep. Uh, but since this is not a DH discussion that the mlb mlb opening weekend and all i gotta say is oh my god regular season baseball with the pitch clock is absolutely incredible it is it's so good uh and it makes and it makes the game so much better uh and i am excited to watch more games with uh with the pitch clock involved and it's it is it has really made a massive difference
0: that's good. You know, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of jealous because I really wish the DH wasn't there because it seems like I'd really enjoy, you know, baseball with the pitch clock in Major League Baseball. But at the same time, if you abandon your principles when it's no longer convenient to have them, then you never really had them to begin with. So I'm kind of bound to not, uh, to not watch that. Uh, so there's that as far as that's concerned. And, uh, I guess all I have to really add is, uh, I won my bracket challenge. It's pretty great. Everybody is either eliminated or cannot get any more points. They maxed out on it. I just eked by in my ESPN one. And uh, thank you, Miami, for winning as much as you did. It got me through, as well as K-State. So we we got the win. The ACC may have had a down year, but they came through for me in the end. Uh, now, if only UConn would have lost... A couple weeks ago we would have really killed it but you know a win's a win we're not gonna we're not gonna look a win away so that's all i really got
1: well congratulations yeah
0: thank you thank you so with that said we have nothing else left to add hopefully we'll have a lot of news next week we did this week so there's no reason why we won't and we're rapidly closing in on preview season and independent league baseball season getting going so until next time don't forget to play all